Join KSL as we travel the world. This is Opening Nations and Hearts. We learn more about President Russell M. Nelson's worldwide ministry. Here's Mark Juke on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us on this Easter Sunday, Conference Sunday, where we have an opportunity to talk. Ahead of LDS Church President Russell M. Nelson's planned trip, really being called a global ministry tour that will begin in just a few days. President Nelson, his wife Wendy, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, along with his wife Patricia, will literally circle the globe, starting in London, then Israel, visiting two countries in Africa, then on to China and Thailand, and then Hawaii before returning. It's a 13-day trip that literally goes east to west. With me today, Elder Spencer J. Condy, an emeritus member of the Quorums of the Seventy, also the author of President Nelson's biography, Russell M. Nelson, Father, Surgeon, Apostle. Also with me from the LDS Church History Department is Justin Bray. Justin, this is not the first time a church leader has made a tour, but it, it has been a while. That's right. The last one was President Hinckley in 2005, but actually this idea of extensive multiple country tours by presidents of the church actually goes back to Joseph F. Smith um, at the turn of the 20th century. Um, In 1906, he went on what would be considered the first quote-unquote world tour for a president of the church. I don't think a lot of people know that it goes back that far. I think a lot of people think of David O. McKay because there are these iconic photographs of him descending stairs from airplanes on tarmacs um, in the 1950s. But but really, Joseph F. Smith was the first president of the church to make such a to make such a trip, and he went on a a three month five country tour of Europe um, in the late summer of 1906. And actually, each president of the church has made international travel, some more than others, because some had more health, health uh, longer tenures than others. But uh, each president of the church has made a, um, a significant international trip over the years, and. And uh, it's continued from Joseph F. Smith to the present. And as we speak of the present, Elder Condi, uh, and we, we learn more about President Nelson and what he has done as an apostle and where he has traveled, he had a, I guess what I would define as a worldview of the church even long before he was uh, called as an apostle of the church. Yes, he taught his surgical skills and uh cardiovascular surgery in about 60 different countries. And so he was very familiar with uh, especially China, but also South America and Europe before he was called to be an apostle. Let's talk about China. He learned to speak Chinese, but then he also went back, and I think this might have been the last surgery of his medical career was in China, right? Yes, uh, When President Kimball became the prophet, he challenged all of the members of the church to learn a foreign language so that we can spread the gospel throughout the world. And he said we need to place special emphasis on China. And Elder Nelson took that to heart, and he uh, hired a Chinese tutor. And some time later, a Dr. Wu from China came to the University of Utah, where Elder Nelson was, and And they established a good relationship, and Elder Nelson tried out his Chinese, his Mandarin. And then uh, uh, sometime later, he was invited to go to the Shandong Medical Center in China and teach his surgical skills. And then he was called to be an apostle in uh, April of 1984. And about 10 months later, he received a call from China from his friend Dr. Zhang, 
who told him he absolutely had to come to China and perform some open-heart surgery on a famous Beijing opera singer. And Elder Nelson said, well, I'm no longer a surgeon. I'm an apostle in our church. And Dr. Zhang was very insistent. And so he talked, Elder Nelson talked with uh, President Benson and his counselor, President Hinckley, and they decided it would be well for Elder Nelson to go to China. And so he did. And uh, he took his uh, assistant, Dr. Conrad Jensen, his colleague, and they performed a very successful operation on this opera singer. And he's been considered to be a hero in China ever since. This was someone who was who was well-loved, and so President Nelson coming in really did kind of maybe warm the hearts of a lot of people in China. Yes, he saved the day. Uh, it would be like uh, someone in America performing surgery on LeBron James or some other sports hero. And uh, even in his last visit to China, I mean, in recent years, uh, people still uh, remember that historic occasion when he uh, saved the life of this famous man in China. There was his medicine. Was he able to carry the message of the church to people in China as well? Well, Dr. Zhang was not a member of the church, but uh, he wrote Elder Nelson a letter, and he said, I've observed you over the years as you've made your several visits to China and taught us your surgical skills, and I've wondered why you were always so kind and so patient and so courteous. You didn't uh, criticize any of us. You were very supportive. And then I found out you're a Latter-day Saint, and I've looked into your religion, and your religion is the only one that makes any sense to me. And he said, I'd like to know more about your religion. And it so happened that Dr. Zhang had immigrated to Toronto, Canada to uh, live with his, his daughter who had earlier uh, immigrated to Canada. And so Elder Nelson called up the mission president and said, I've got a great referral for you. And to shorten the story, he was there as a surprise to Dr. Zhang and performed the baptism of Dr. Zhang. And uh, then a year later, when the Toronto Temple was dedicated, Elder Nelson was there to perform the sealing of Dr. Zhang to his wife. And uh, they've had a very warm relationship. And I know the details firsthand because I went on a mission tour in Toronto and interviewed Dr. Zhang. And he just couldn't say enough good about Elder Nelson. He didn't look down his nose at those uh, unschooled Chinese Surgeons. I don't mean unschooled in the sense of not being sophisticated, but they didn't know much about cardiovascular surgery until Elder Nelson taught them. Thank you. And when we come back, I think we want to delve a little more into not only did he learn Chinese, but he's learned several other languages as well as he's traveled through these countries. And we'll talk about some of the travel to those other countries. And hearts on KSL News Radio. Welcome back. I'm here with Elder Spencer J. Condy, the author of uh, President Russell M. Nelson's biography, at least until the last 15 years. Also here with Justin Bray of the Church History Department. Kind of talk about some of those other 15 years and, may, and maybe put this into some historical context. In the first break, we were talking a little bit about President Nelson and his trip to China. And I know that even before he was an apostle, he had traveled 
the world with other church leaders and in a role in other church assignments. The one that strikes me is when he accompanied President and Sister Kimball to the Pacific. Talk a little bit about that, if you would, Elder Condi. Well, this is a great honor for Elder Nelson to uh, serve as uh, President Kimball's personal physician. Uh, He had uh, accompanied uh, President Kimball to the Manchester Area Conference and uh, while there, President Kimball had uh, confessed that he was having some angina pains, and uh, he uh, he said, "I think I need to have you look at me." And to shorten the story, Elder Nelson ended up performing open heart surgery on President Kimball, and everyone thought at the time that President Harold B. Lee, as a young prophet in his early seventies, would live for another twenty years. But uh, Elder Nelson felt impressed to tell President Kimball that he knew during the operation that President Kimball would soon become the president of the church. And uh, on another occasion, uh, he accompanied President Kimball to New Zealand, and uh, President Kimball contracted some kind of uh, respiratory disease with a high fever. And it looked like he was not going to be able to meet with the large uh, assemblage of uh, New Zealand saints in the stadium, and uh, they decided it'd be better for President Kimball to just rest. And uh, one of the sweet Maori members in New Zealand gave a very lengthy prayer, saying, "We've come here to listen to a prophet's voice, and please bless President Kimball that he'll be able to meet with us." And while he was praying, President Kimball awoke, and he asked Dr. Nelson uh, what time it is and when does the meeting start, and he said, let's go. And at the conclusion of this lengthy prayer by the Maori brother in New Zealand, Elder or President Kimball's car entered the stadium to the great delight of all of the New Zealand saints. And he was able to carry out that uh, meeting, but then he, he didn't get better, right? He was still sick for, for days after. Yes, yes. But it was uh, a great sign of divine intervention. Speaking of President Kimball, I want to play a little sound from him. He made this kind of clarion call in 1974 for more missionaries, not only more missionaries from the United States, but from within these countries. Our objective is not power or domain, but it's entirely spiritual. And to every nation and people which opens its borders to the gospel, will come unbelievable blessings. If we do all we can, and I accept my own part of that responsibility, the Lord will do the rest. He will bring more discoveries to our use. He will bring a change of heart into kings and magistrates and emperors. Or he will divert rivers or open seas or find ways to touch hearts. He will open the gates and make possible the proselyting. Of that, I have great faith. When I hear that, I hear some specific things. He will open discoveries to young people. But he also said that he will open the hearts of kings and rulers of nations. And as I read President Nelson's biography, he was really a big part of that. To quote uh, Rudyard Kipling from his famous poem, If, uh, President Nelson epitomizes someone who can walk with kings nor lose the common touch. 
He's uh, very warm. He's very personable. And uh, he opens the hearts of whomever he meets. And yet it wasn't always the first time they met. There had to be some persistence involved as well, right? For example, when the Berlin Wall came down and it looked like there was going to be the demise of communism throughout the East Bloc countries, Elder Nelson and Elder Hans Rinker met with the leaders in Bulgaria, and they were very brusque. And they said, we don't even know who you are. We don't want to know about an American religion. And Hans Rinker, in his own incisive way, said, I'm not American. And uh, this is a worldwide church. And then uh, the leader said, the Bulgarian leader, we don't even know you men. And Elder Nelson, with his typical warmth and diplomatic manner, said, and we don't know you. Let's get acquainted. And uh, he did that more than once in more than one country. I want to play another quote here, and this is uh, from Elder Nelson himself, talking about his transition from uh, that of a heart surgeon to that of an apostle with a specific calling, as we heard from President Kimball, to go out and start opening the doors of some of these countries. I had spent much of my professional life opening hearts to perform life-saving operations. But I had no experience that would lead me to believe I could open countries for the preaching of the gospel. And yet, a prophet had given me an assignment. President Nelson says he had no experience in in what it would be like to go out and open countries around the world, and yet he really did have some experience. Yes, he had uh, received a number of medical awards from various countries because of his contributions to training some of their surgeons to become Uh, cardiovascular surgeons as well. But in terms of uh, opening countries, I happened to be with him with uh, uh, Elder Rinker on a trip to Hungary, and uh, he dedicated the uh, country of Hungary for the preaching of the gospel on Mount Gellert. And the next day he met with the Hungarian officials to see if we could start to pursue the course for legal recognition or at least have uh, approval to do some more open proselyting. And the leaders were very, very acerbic and very, uh, well, they tried to stonewall him. And uh, the chilly atmosphere in the room was very hostile. And then Elder Nelson, as an apostle of the Lord, who had the keys to which he referred, said, yesterday I approached Mount Gellert and there I pronounced a blessing. He didn't say he dedicated the land, but he said, I invoked a blessing of the Lord upon the Hungarian people, that you'd be prosperous, and that uh, families would be strengthened, and that this nation would prosper and thrive. And as he spoke, the leaders of the country became teary-eyed. And to shorten the story, within six months, they met him in Washington. Sometime later, they uh, came to the uh, temple in Freiburg, and uh, or the temple in Frankfurt, I beg your pardon. And uh, he just had a way of melting hearts. He was just always dignified, but also always warm and friendly. And really that outreach extended to every continent, as we'll discuss more in depth after this. Join KSL as we travel the world. This is Opening Nations and Hearts. We learn more about President Russell M. Nelson's worldwide ministry 
Here's Mark Juke on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us on this LDS Conference Sunday. I'm Mark Juke along with church historian Justin Bray and Elder Spencer J. Condy, the author of President Russell M. Nelson's biography, Russell M. Nelson, Father, Surgeon, Apostle. We're talking about President Nelson's planned global ministry tour that begins later this month and his transition really from a surgeon who literally and physically opened hearts around the world to that of an apostle whose calling it was to open hearts and countries around the world to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Justin, we were talking about that concept of warming hearts around the world. I think another example of President Nelson um, helping open the doors of the gospel in another country is Thailand. I mean, the church had been in Thailand for decades, but in uh, in 1992 there was a military coup that led to a, a, lar- a number of large demonstrations that resulted in hundreds of uh, thousands of arrests, dozens of deaths, and, and hundreds of injuries. And there was a lot of question about whether the church would continue to 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 to, exp- to enjoy religious freedom in Thailand, and if the missionaries continue could continue to go there. And in 1992, in June. Uh, President Nelson was sent there as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve with Elder Neil A. Maxwell to pronounce a blessing on the country, um, hoping to uh, to make make it so that the church could stay there and uh, and that missionaries could continue to be sent there. And and uh, sure enough, um, everything worked out for the best. And three years later, a stake was created in Bangkok, which is it's quite remarkable given that just years earlier there was a lot of question about whether. The church would even continue in the country. That he could speak to a lot of these people in their languages. Yes. In fact, uh, when we say that he speaks a lot of languages, some more fluently than others and some more extensively than others, but he would always make it a point to be able to bear his testimony in Greek if he was heading for Greece. He'd he'd hire a or invite a, a Greek uh, translator, teacher, interpreter to visit his home and and teach him and his wife basic rudiments of a given language. And so uh, he's uh, more proficient in, say, Chinese, Russian, German, and Spanish, and French than he would be in some of these other languages, but he would still be able to give them a warm greeting, and then when given the opportunity, he would be able to bear his testimony in uh, a whole host of languages. Well, we shouldn't uh, ignore his engaging smile. I've been with a number of uh, dignified folks over the years who are all dignity and no warmth. And uh, President Nelson is the epitome of a warm, loving father of 10 children and the great-grandfather of 116. Do you think that warmth is portrayed to the general membership of the church? Do you think they see that? I certainly hope so. In terms of reaching out to his grandchildren, before I was released, as a 70, I was in a meeting, and it was long about 2009, and he said, Brethren, if you want to stay in touch with your grandchildren, you've got to learn how to text. Even if you have arthritic fingers, you've got to text. Sending emails is so 2002-ish. Well, he seems to have this ability to relate to people on their terms. He does. So I specifically want to talk about Eastern Europe, the late 1980s, the early 1990s, and with everything happening in the world, we find Elder Nelson with some of his companions in the work in all of these countries working to open doors. Is there any one area that really sticks out, Elder Condi, in your mind? 
Well, he was a compatriot of President Monson's, of course. President Monson began to uh, visit uh, East Germany in 1968 and had made some promises at that time that uh, the people would have all the blessings of the gospel and intimating that they would someday have a temple, and that seemed so impossible. And then the Freiburg Temple was uh, dedicated in 1985, but still the people didn't have uh, an opportunity to leave the country uh, missionary work was uh, at a standstill. And then both he and Elder Nelson and President Monson visited with the uh, officials in East Germany after the Berlin Wall came down, and they were able to uh, get permission for uh, missionaries to come into to uh, East Germany and East German missionaries to go elsewhere. And uh, that was a great turning point. And uh, Elder Nelson and President Monson were very, along with Elder Hans Rinker, were very close compatriots in the work in uh, building the church in in East Germany. <clears throat> we mentioned Hungary. Uh, he had a great uh, affinity for the Hungarians. And one of the things that Church Public Affairs has been successful in doing is inviting various ambassadors from different countries to turn on the Christmas tree lights at the Washington, D.C. temple and make brief, brief remarks. And that has uh, softened the hearts of a number of ambassadors from a number of countries. Elder Nelson just had a great diplomatic sense of what to do when, uh, somewhat like Nephi's comment when he said, I knew not beforehand what I should do, but I was led by the Spirit. And that's the way, uh, that's the way he conducted himself. And uh, the timing was everything. And uh, he tirelessly traveled to Czechoslovakia several times and to, to Poland and to East Germany and to Hungary, uh, meeting with various officials, both on their own home turf and also uh, at church headquarters and in Washington, D.C. During that time, and it might be within a decade or so, and Justin, maybe you can help with this, he took part in, in dedicating numerous countries for preaching the gospel. I think I'm I think I want to say like 32 or something like that. Is that correct? I think you better not mention a number because it keeps increasing. <laughs> but there were a number of countries for example in Central America who were part of a dedication several years ago of the country or the region. Um and uh now it's been fractionated into a lot of smaller countries. The same thing being true in parts of Europe, where Yugoslavia is no longer one nation, but uh, five or six republics. I can't speak to country dedications, but, but President Nelson's been very involved with some of the countries in the Europe East area, um, especially in the last couple decades. Um, he's taken a great interest in um, Ukraine, Russia, Armenia. He was he helped create the first stake in Armenia. I think there's four stakes in between Russia and Ukraine, and he, I believe he was involved in the creation of all three. Um, he's helped dedicate meeting houses in Russia. He participated in the Kiev Ukraine temple dedication in 2010. So he's he's definitely made his mark uh, in the Euro in, in Eastern Europe. Absolutely. Let's talk specifically about Russia. In one account, Elder Condi, I think it was Hans Rinker and Elder Nelson, go into Russia really not knowing with whom they might meet. That happened in several countries, but especially in Russia. And then when he fi they finally did get through to the 
officials, they said, well, you have to have a certain number of members. I think it was 20 uh, before you can uh, have a meeting place and and seek establishment as a church. And Elder Nelson pointed out, well, we can't have 20 members unless we can have permission to do a little proselyting. And to uh, we're in a chicken and egg situation. And uh, the Russians just said, that's your problem, not ours. And then the Red Sea opened, and a number of, of uh, Russians joined the church while visiting other countries and returned to Russia. And eventually they had the required number, and before long the uh, work just spread far and wide. As of... Uh, 2003, the publication of the book, and there have been several countries dedicated since then. Elder Nelson has been privileged to dedicate the lands of Australia, Belarus, Belize, Bulgaria, El Salvador, Estonia, French Polynesia, Honduras, Hungary, Namibia, New Zealand, Romania, and Zambia. And as I mentioned, since that time, there have been numerous uh, countries added. I want to go back to Russia and these other countries specifically, because you mentioned people who had gone to other countries, found and joined the church, and returned to their countries. This is a story, from my impression, that really involves a lot of pioneers. In every sense of the word, there have been pioneers in each of those countries who courageously defended their beliefs and represented the church at some risk to their own personal welfare. And uh, we could mention the names, but uh, perhaps at this juncture it's just... Uh, more important to say that we have the equivalent of Parley P. Pratt and Orson Hyde in every one of those countries. Is there one specific person who might stand out in your mind? That well, Jerzy Schneidefler in Czechoslovakia would, would be uh, one that comes to mind. Uh, he, along with about four dozen other Czechs, had joined the church prior to the communist incursion in 1948, which uh, put the church on hold. And uh, I have been in Yerzy and Olga's apartment, and uh, you pull down the shades uh, so nobody can see what's going on in the in the meeting house, and uh, and sing the songs in whispered tones, and all of the members take their shoes off so the people downstairs don't hear anyone walking upstairs, and uh, people arrive at the apartment at ten minute intervals so no one thinks a meeting's going on. And he went through that procedure for many, many years as the leader of the church in Czechoslovakia. And then came the time when Hans Rinker and Elder Nelson asked him if he would be willing to go to the, the authorities and seek legal recognition of the church. And you could say, well, the worst they could do is throw you in jail or execute you. And uh, Jerzy said, I will go. I'll be happy to go. And uh, in every, every one of those countries, there's a Jerzy Snedefler who stuck his neck out for the church and was willing to sacrifice everything for the building of the kingdom. And that building really continues today as the church moves into new areas. More when we come back. Now, more of Opening Nations and Hearts on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us. We've been talking about LDS Church President Russell M. Nelson's planned trip this month to Europe, Israel, Africa, and Asia, and really his decades of outreach to the world. With me from the Church History Department is historian Justin Bray and the author of President Nelson's biography, Elder Spencer J. Condy. 
Elder Condi, President Nelson is known as a man of exactness. How has that helped in his outreach? Elder Haight said he was in a temple meeting and and, and one of the brethren assigned uh, Elder Nelson to go to a given country in a forthcoming trip. And he reached into his attache case and pulled out his uh, cards, vocabulary cards. And he was going to uh, internalize that language as as much as he could before he goes on that trip. Uh, the thing that characterizes him when he goes to a given country is he's prepared. He knows about the culture. He can mention five points that would be of interest to them. Uh, he knows who the key figures are. He's just well prepared. Preparation would be just just like his many years of surgical preparation. He he's always prepared in his ecclesiastical calls. And as we look on a bigger picture, we've kind of looked at the the example of one of twelve or more leaders within the church who've gone throughout the world. And would it be accurate to say this kind of work was going on and is going on with other members of the twelve around the world? Today? Yes, certainly. Uh, the Doctrine and Covenants specifically mentions that the twelve have the keys for the opening up of the nations to, for the preaching of the gospel. And uh, he may have visited more countries, but uh, all of the 12 are involved in that sort of thing, dedicating countries, dedicating uh, temples, or assisting in the dedication of temples. And uh, we can't isolate any one member of the 12. We we need to uh, look at the First Presidency and the, the 12 as uh, prophets, seers, and revelators, all of whom uh, labor under the direction from on high. Justin, I want to ask you, um, the last time that the church president has gone on a tour like this, as we mentioned, was 2005. A lot has changed in the church since then. For example, there are now more members outside of the United States than there are within the United States. Is this trip really going to, to involve a different dynamic for the president of the church now, yeah, there's there's certain the church has grown significantly in certain parts of the world, um, especially you know the, quote unquote the global South, South America, South Africa, and Asia, um, and so this is a, a significant trip for President Nelson. But I, I I continue to go back to a a quote from Heber J. Grant. He went on a, a world tour of his own in 1937, where he visited ten countries in a three month period, and and he was traveling by boat and. And uh, in some primitive ways than we'd imagine now. And when he came back, he said that uh, um, that he wished he would have gone on one of these world tours um, earlier in his tenure. Unfortunately, because of world wars and an influenza epidemic and the Great Depression, he was unable to, to get out as much as he would have liked. But he said, even though these branches were so small and they were so scattered and, and not very strong, he said... I feel really and truly ashamed of myself that I've neglected so long in returning to these parts of the world. They are just as much a part of the church as we are here. And I think that church leaders would, including President Nelson, would echo that same sentiment that um, that these the Latter-day Saints around the world are just as much a part of the church as uh, church headquarters. And that's why that they make such an effort to go out and, and um, all the members of the 12 and First Presidency since – President Hinckley's world tour in 2005. Through uh, the expansion of technology, it's possible now for the 
people in the island nations of the South Pacific who don't wear shoes to get every session of general conference. They get, may get it on a different day, and it may be 3 o'clock in the morning, but they can still see uh, the Christmas program from the First Presidency and, and other fine programs. But there's nothing like having the prophet walk your country, walk the, walk the land. And even if you don't get to go to the meeting, the fact that the prophet visited your little country or your big country uh, just sends a signal that uh, you matter, you care. It's the difference between home teaching someone in their homes or, or calling them on the phone. Uh, contact is great, but nothing propinks like propinquity. The other thing that I noticed when he was traveling to these Eastern European countries, he would hold meetings. And even though there would only be a few dozen known members of the church in these meetings, there might be hundreds show up to listen. That's, that's true. That happened in every, every instance. Uh, people were curious. They have a longing, a yearning for a meaning to their lives. And uh, <clears throat> especially in the East Bloc countries, they just realized that uh, socialism and communism weren't fulfilling their needs. But it was also interesting. I don't know. Well, I kind of suspect how it happened. Members would come out of the woodwork who hadn't been to a meeting in years, and they'd get the word that a that an apostle of the Lord was was coming to the city. And I don't know how they got the word, but they were there. And I've seen Elder Nelson reach over and kiss a little lady in Hungary on the cheek who hadn't been to church in 17 years, and he said, "Welcome home." Welcome home, indeed. And we look forward now to seeing and hearing some new stories and seeing some of the new images as President Nelson and Elder Holland make this new trip. Elder Condi and Justin Bray, thank you both for being here. You've been listening to Opening Nations and Hearts on KSL News Radio. Music.